Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. It's on page 982 of the Pew Bibles. But Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. And then we'll look at really verses 6 and 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Well, Father, Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the hope of your word. Lord, we thank you that it does sustain us. Lord, we just thank you for the gift of prayer. So, Lord, I pray you'd encourage us this morning with your word, God, that we would be a praying church. You would encourage us in prayer. And Holy Spirit, you just help us to see your answers in prayer. Lord, I pray you be with those who are struggling this morning emotionally, physically, spiritually. I pray you give them the grace and the comfort that only you can give. And help us keep looking to Jesus as a church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you know of any pain, you will want to listen to what the Apostle Paul in Philippians has to say about prayer. If you have any idea of any kind of pain, emotional pain, physical pain, spiritual pain, up, incoming, upcoming pain, if you have any recollection of any kind of pain, you're going to want to listen to what he says about prayer in Philippians. Our church statement, vision statement that we had a few years ago says this. One of our points is, We will be known as a house of prayer, and that answers to prayer would be a normal and expected way of life. And we are very thankful for the praying that takes place in our church. And we've seen, in the last couple years, answers to prayer. And sometimes we pray a lot about a lot of things, and if you're not aware of some of the answers to prayer that God has done in this church in the last few years, come talk to me. I can give you a long list of people that we've prayed for. And God answered those prayers. We prayed for Pat DeVries when she was like a skeleton. And God has healed her. There are twins in the Coons' home because of much prayer. The Deans have a baby and is healthy because of much prayer in this church. We're very thankful for the prayers that God has answered in our prayer. But we want to be known as a house of prayer. And the answers to prayer will be a normal and expected way of life. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, that prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ, which with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Last Sunday, Jeff 
encouraged us and challenged us from Psalms 1, which is the book of prayer for the church, the whole book of Psalms, about being oak tree Christians. And Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Therefore, my brethren, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. This last section of Philippians chapter 4, he's writing to this group of people, this church of Philippi, and to us, and he's saying, hey, this is how you stand firm. This is how you are an oak tree Christian. And one of the ways you do that, one of the ways you set, be steadfast, is that you be deeply rooted in prayer. The question that I like to ask is, from what Corey Timboom said, who herself went through great tragedies, lost her dad, lost her mom, lost her sister during World War II, being in the Nazi concentration camp. She went through unbelievable, difficult ordeals. And she asked this question, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? The context of Philippians chapter 4 is a group of people, a church, who were going through some real difficulties. Paul, when he wrote it, was in prison. The church was under persecution. And so as he gets to the end of this book, he says, listen, I want you to stand firm. I want you to stand fast. I want you to be very deeply rooted and some real important truths. And he gives a list of them. And he just says, uh, here's a bunch of them. And verses 4 through 9, and 4 through 7 particularly, he just lists things like shotgun, boom, 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 boom. And none of them grammatically are actually connected. But he says, these are things you need to be. And these are things you need to do. And these are things that you need to know. And they are commands. And he says, uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known. And really you could say, be rejoicing, he says. Be reasonable, he says. Don't let anxiety bother you. Be relaxed. He says, be praying, be requesting. And then he talks about peace, be, be reassured. And he just gives us all these things. This is what the Christian life and the Christian should be, to be steadfast and to be what we are called to be, and then one of them though is prayer. He says, "Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, be they known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus." When it, when it comes to prayer, we have to. There's a recognition. That we all have to see there's a real reality. The reason that Paul said all these things is because these people needed help. And we need help. And you're not going to be a person who prays unless you have that recognition. Christians pray. One of the marks of a Christian is that Christians pray and they pray together. But the only people who are really going to see the need to pray, the way the Bible talks about praying, really communing with God, doing what it says, it's offering up our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies, are people who've come to a real sense of a reality, that they're sinners. Prayer is a gift to us. 
And everybody talks about prayer. Every tragedy that takes place in our country, Facebook explodes and the internet explodes with prayers, prayers, prayers. I'm praying. But there's saying that there's prayer and then there's real praying that the Bible talks about. And the real praying that the Bible talks about takes place in the context as a gift to God's people where they can commune with God. Not everybody that says the word praying is praying or even has the ability to pray. There's a reality and there is a recognition that we are all sinners. God's angry with the wicked every day, the Bible says. But he's not angry with his people every day. To his people, he says, pour out your heart to me. And if you've recognized that you're a sinner and you realize that evil exists and I'm broken and things are broken and they're not the way they're supposed to be, and when you need and we need to see ourselves as beggars. Martin Luther, at the end of his life, after all that he accomplished, helped put the spotlight back on the gospel the way it should be. He said, we are all beggars. That is true. That's what a Christian is. We are just beggars who have received the grace and mercy of God, and we've been blessed. We are loved by God, and it's God's love that leads us to pray. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to recognize that you are, the reality is that you're a sinner, that you are Broken, but it's the gift of grace that God has given us. And one of the gifts of that grace is the ability to speak to God through prayer. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you may say the word prayer. You may type out, I'm praying. But you're not communing with God. Those who are really communing with God have recognized this reality, that we're broken beggars that absolutely can't help ourselves, and that we need help. And it's God's love that leads us to pray and gives us the desire and the faith to pray. But you've got to recognize that. That's the reality. And then as you recognize that, there is a great resistance that comes to us. And that's what Paul's saying. These, these people are followers of Jesus Christ. The book of Philipp, uh, Philippi is like, he's thrilled to be praying for them. He's thrilled to know them. And at the end, he says, hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known. And then he says, don't be anxious about anything. Why did he say that to them? Because they were anxious about a lot of things. That's why he said it. And they had good reason to be anxious. He wasn't living in this daydream. He was living in a reality. of He's in prison when he wrote this. I mean, the Apostle Paul suffered greatly. These people are under persecution. There's a lot to be anxious about for these people. There's a lot for us to be anxious about. But he says, don't be anxious about anything. And the, the word that he uses for anxious is just like it's this harassing care, and especially about the future. It's like a fierce bully, anxiety is. Do you know this? I meet him often. He's a harassing bully that comes to you and says, God's not for you. Think about this. This is going to not go well for you. This is not good. This is not good. It's not going to be good. Give me your lunch money. And every day he comes and he wants to take it from you. It's 
Paul says, don't be anxious about that. Don't be anxious about anything. Anxiety is an irrational bully, too. Extremely irrational. That's the situation that these people were going through. Why is it such a harassing bully anxiety? I think it's a harassing bully, and it's a because it is an enemy that we have to fight. And it loves to show its ugly face all the time. And anxiety, you would think, when you're going through a difficulty, you got a problem, you would think that anxiety would draw you as a Christian to pray. You would think that, but that's not what Philippians says. It says, hey, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. Make your request known. Why does he say that? Because anxiety doesn't lead us to pray. Actually, anxiety is an enemy of prayer. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's true. Anxiety is our enemy when it comes to prayer. That's why Paul's saying, hey, this is a command, pray. Anxiety wants to harass you about your future. It wants to destroy you. So you need to not let that happen. And the way you not let that happen is you pray. So why is anxiety an emptier of prayer? I think it's because of fear. One of the reasons is we, we get afraid. And when we get afraid... We get boxed in. We want to figure it out ourselves. And sometimes we just forget to pray. Or sometimes it's guilt. Anxiety comes and we are guilty because the anxiety is either the problem that we created ourselves or we think we deserve it for some reason. And we have this guilt. And we say, well, I can't bring this one to God. I took a lot of them to him last week. I dealt with a lot of stuff before. I got to deal with this one on my own. He's not going to keep hearing this. And anxiety is going to tell you, you're right, he's not going to hear that. And so, and he'll say to you, you don't deserve God to help you with that. You weren't even praying two days ago before this happened. And guilt will stir in. Satan loves to use anxiety. Our sin will want to use anxiety. And anger, something bad happens We don't like it. We get anxious. We get angry about it. And when you're angry, you're really often not waiting to pray. Anxiety isn't actually, it doesn't lead us to prayer, according to Paul in Philippians. That's why he's telling them to pray. Anxiety isn't often an emptier of pray. And it it, it eclipses prayer. Anxiety is an eclipser of past grace. When you have something happen to you, and God answers your prayer, and then you're like, yes. And then three weeks later, something else happens, or even two days later, something else happens. And you're like, oh no, how's God ever going to deal with this now? He can't help me now. I'll never get it through this one now. And anxiety comes and says, yes, he wants to smother you to remember anything that God did for you in the past. And he just wants to be on top of you, so you're not thankful, you're, you're forgetful, and you're like, God's not able to help me. That was the problem with the people of Israel all the way through the Old Testament. God would deliver them from one thing, and then all of a sudden something else would come up. They'd be very anxious, and where's God? He's not going to be able to get us out of this. Anxiety is an enemy of your faith. And it leads to, it's not thought, to complaining, to murmuring, to babbling. That's Exodus 14. The nation of Israel, they're, They've left Egypt. They're standing before the Red Sea. They don't think it's going to get past. They forgot what God did for them. They become very anxious, 
very afraid. And instead of naturally what you think, hey, you're afraid, pray, God just delivered you. That's not what they do. They complain, and they murmur, and they babble. Somebody said anxiety and genuine prayer are more opposed to each other than fire and water. Just because you have something always on your mind doesn't mean you're always praying about it. It doesn't mean that you're always really seeking God for it. Anxiety wants to destroy you. And Paul says it's an enemy that has to be fought. We all have it, so we've got to fight it. And he says, don't be anxious about anything. Which should remind you of Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus said in verses 25 through 34, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is the trouble thereof. I don't think we can hear that enough. I don't think you can forget that and be reminded of it enough. Anxiety is our enemy that wants to harass you continually and wants to keep you from praying. And as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, we are called to fight against it. Can I just give a practical one this week? We're walking in to a big week in our country with the election, and anxiety is going to be a monster for our country all week long and everything you read and everything you see. Before you respond on social media to somebody's insane comment, just pray. Pray and fight anxiety. We have a resource, though, to help us with this anxiety. We all feel it. It all wants to attack us. It all wants to kill us. And the resource that we're given is prayer. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Anything. No exceptions. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The resource that God has given us to not be anxious about everything is prayer. John Bunyan, about 400 years ago, said, Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to his word for the good of the church with submission and faith 
to the will of God. And I like how Paul wrote this. He says, after all this thing about anxiety, all these concerns, all these fears, he just says, let your request be made known to God. And he uses three different words for prayer. Request, supplications, and prayer, and even thanksgiving are all words of prayer. To highlight, hey, prayer's the answer for all these anxieties. It's prayer. If you don't want to be anxious, pray. Pray is the way you do this. And he says it's requests. And to me, when I read that word, it, it kind of makes me laugh when I read that. When I was studying, I just couldn't get past this. He just says, here's this big monster called anxiety. And when you have it, let your request be made known to God. I mean, Paul was not opposed in the past to writing long sentences. And he could have said, hey, when you're dealing with a very tough boss that you can't stand, pray about this. When your finances are over your head, pray about this. When your wayward child is beyond your understanding, your heart's breaking, and you don't know what to do, pray about this. When your physical condition is out of your control and things aren't going well, pray about this. That's how we feel. But Paul just says it like you're getting some tea from a British person. Would you like some, like some tea, please? A little spot of tea? Oh, yes, I'll request some tea, please. Uh, that's how I feel when I read that. Why is it that way? Just let you request. I mean, he's talking about huge anxiety that crush most of us on a regular basis. And he says, hey, just let your request be made known to God. Because God is able to hear your prayers and can handle every one of them. He doesn't need your big, dramatic explanation of why you should ask him. He just says, bring it. Bring it. You got a request? You're anxious? Bring it and pray. Just bring it. But how should you bring it? Tim Keller said, even when we have no words to express our anguish, we lay our requests before God. So Cornerstone, this is how I would encourage us as we go into 2017, just three ways to how they use this resource to pray. We are called to pray confidently. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When we pray, when you come to an anxious situation this year, 2017, when we do it personally, when we do it corporately, we are going to pray and pray in faith with the absolute confidence that God hears us and he, we believe that he wants us to pray. This is his will for us in Christ Jesus. So we pray confidently in faith and we pray consistently. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So we need to pray confidently. We need to pray consistently about everything, continually. I've asked many of you to pray for me for many years. And you've done it. And I have known you've done it confidently and consistently. And we need to give that to each other when someone brings our request to each other. That we come together and we pray believing that God is who he says he is. 
And then we're going to do it continually and consistently. And then we need to pray fervently. James 5.17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. He was a guy just like us. But he prayed fervently. And it didn't rain for three years. Praying fervently is praying with passion. That doesn't be dramatic. It doesn't have to be weeping and wailing, but just praying. I believe. And God, you want to hear me. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to bring it. And I'm going to bring it. And then we need to pray together. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, let your request. All through the New Testament, the majority of praying in the New Testament is not us in our little prayer closet by ourselves, but it's corporately, praying together with people corporately. The disciples said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, our Father, pray this way, our Father, which is plural, which means it's praying with people. And we need to pray together as a church. Pray in the hallways. Pray at life groups. Pray on Wednesday nights. Pray before service. Pray in the midst of service with somebody. Pray at the end when we're singing together. But pray together. It is an American idea that you pray privately all the time. Biblically, it's praying corporately with people. So pray confidently, consistently, fervently, and pray together. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? It's a choice you have to make. You make the choice that you're going to do that. You're going to pray, and then you just manage that choice. And you pray, and you pray, and you pray. That's the resource. But you say, how can we be so confident in this resource? Because I've prayed about some things that I didn't get the answer to, or I don't think I've gotten the answer to. How can I be so confident that prayer is the answer to my anxieties? And the rescue is in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. The answer from why we can know prayer is good and right and where we should take our anxieties is in the gospel. It's in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ on the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus goes, knows what's going to take place. Huge anxiety. He's praying. He's sweating. Blood's coming down. If this cup will pass for me, don't, I don't, I'll do it, but if it, there's another way, if there's another way. But then he says, not my will, but yours be done. Then he goes to the cross, and on the cross he prays and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and got nothing? God didn't answer his prayer when he was in pain. Jesus' prayer in pain was not answered so that we could have a path to the peace of God through prayer for our pain. That's our hope. Because because of Jesus Christ, and because he took all the wrath of God so that God did not and would not answer him in his last prayer. Why have you forsaken me? And he never answered him. He wasn't answered so that we could be answered through Jesus Christ. And he died, 
and then he rose again. And he conquered sin and death and all anxiety for us. And because of that, we have this peace of God which surpasses all understanding, which will guard our hearts and minds. Last week, I was watching Aaron Rodgers play football. I'm not a Packers fan, but my son Aaron is. And I'm watching Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback, and he probably did the, one of the best stay-in-the-pocket plays I've ever seen. He, they hike the ball. He waits. All these guys are coming to him. All these guys are after him. They're bigger. They're stronger. They want to destroy him. And he stands in the pocket. And he moves this way a little bit. And he moves that way a little bit. And he stays and he stays and then he stays. And then he throws it and he threw a touchdown. Because he was guarded by all these other guys. And he had unbelievable peace in that moment. He was anxious, but he looked and he looked. But about four or five other guys guarded him, and he was never touched. And when it says to us, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, that's how we need to see it. We've got an anxiety, and God says, pray. And as you wait, and as you wait, and as you wait, I'm guarding you. You're not going to be touched. Keep looking, keep praying, and just know the whole time, I am guarding you. I am protecting you. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This year, we need to run to the resource of prayer. And we need to run to the resource of prayer together and regularly. And then we need to receive the peace of God by faith that he is working in your prayers. And he's working in our prayers. Because of Jesus Christ. Because of that we have unbelievable peace, that we will be guarded through Jesus Christ. And the answer that God gives us is always yes in prayer. It's either the yes of what you want, or yes, I've got something better than what you want. You may take that as a no, but it's really a yes. It's either yes, or yes, i got something better. That's the peace of God that guards us. Don't be anxious. Let's pray and bring it and pray.
you.